On this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast, we are speaking with Manny Abarca, treasurer of the Kansas City Public School Board. Abarca currently serves the 3rd Subdistrict, which includes a portion of the historic Northeast, Columbus Park, City Market, a portion of downtown, Quality Hill, and historic Westside communities. Abarca discusses the current board of directors, collective and personal goals, the recent APR score, the number of pre-K seats within the Kansas City Public Schools, student mobility rates, infrastructure, and more. So tell me about your transition from Guadalupe Educational Systems to Kansas City Public Schools. There's a dramatic difference in size, obviously. So Guadalupe Centers has about 1,300 students, I think, this year, and KCPS has uh, around 14,500. And so just by size, sheer volume, it's a much larger institution, obviously. And so it's taken a little bit to adjust, right? So I spent um, a little over two years, I think, on the Guadalupe Center School Board, and I had an opportunity to really make uh, strong relationships with teachers, principals, some of the students. And I've tried to do that here, but there's a lot of change that happens, and it's a lot larger of an entity. And so in terms of when I began the role for GCI, there was a little time for transition and understanding what's happening and tours and things like that. With KCPS, it's been very much get to work uh, immediately. And so as soon as we started, uh, we got a nice large binder of everything that is, and we were expected to try and study all of that and uh, move forward because we had budgeting within the next uh, three months. And so as the treasurer, I had to dig in a lot more with the budget, more than I got an opportunity to really build much relationships with our students, our teachers, our administrators. But I look forward to that within the next year and a half. And school obviously ends very quickly once we started in April. So there's not much time to really dig in when you're trying to focus on all these different components. So how is the new school board working together and what are their goals? We have strategic planning that's coming up that are really going to allow us to work together in defining our goals. What we realize is that we all bring a very diverse background to the board itself. And whether it's attorneys, whether it's um, educators themselves, obviously Patty and Jennifer both bring their experience on the school board as well as their own personal experience there. We realize that we had a very dynamic board and we really need more time to work together to understand all those different components. We each have different goals, I think, coming onto the board and obviously the campaign process, but we've not had much time right now to figure out what our united goals are. Obviously, we all agree that receiving full accreditation is our, our broader goal, but as a board, we haven't really defined much more than that. And as the new treasurer, what are your personal goals? For me, this was a, an interesting role because I've never been the finance person for any board before. And so I saw this as an opportunity to really understand how the school board operates in terms of governance over the school district, how funds are received, how funds are not received in some situations to get a better grasp on the funding mechanism that supports the district. And so I have done that um, or trying to still understand some of it. Luckily, we have an amazing CFO, Linda Quinley, who we stole from the Columbia School District and brought over recently. And so what's happened as well as she's identified areas where we can uh, be more efficient and concise with our budgeting practices. And so she has taken it upon herself and as well as in compliance with state new state policy to reallocate the mechanism that is our budget. And so she is now coding our budget to a different way. So if anything, it provides more transparency for the public. And so what you'll see soon is uh, hopefully well, what you saw this last board meeting is we presenting the formal budget, approving the formal budget, but you should find that on our website and be able to look through it and understand a little bit better as to where these 
these funds are directly allocated versus the larger pots that they previously were assigned to, which then was very challenging to understand this pot of money goes towards these programs. Now what you'll see is a specific pot of money solidified down to a smaller fund, which aligns to a specific board policy that's been outlined. And so you can see that that process as well as some of our programmatic funding directly broken down as to why some of the increases are there, why some of the decreases are there. And so that's kind of the first time that we've been able to do that. And that's mostly because of our wonderful CFO. Tell me about what the budget you've created looks like. Let's start about the budgeting process in itself. So, you know, in, in other boards that I've been a part of, it's a very much more inclusive process for board members. For us, we're governance, right? We have one employee, that's the superintendent. And so in terms of what we can do to really modify and change the budget comes through our policy action. And that's really it, right? So if I say, hey, I want to improve this or that, it is not my place as a KCPS school board member to go to our CFO and then go, hey, increase this line item here. And so really what that means, though, is that our administrators have that priority and understanding. Now, we can help define those through, again, policy, but it is not our place for me to go back and say, hey, James Elementary needs a new refrigerator, allocate $5,000 or whatever for a new kitchen or something. And so we can bring these priorities up and we can support our principals and administrators, but there really is a bureaucracy set in place to encourage that funding mechanisms to be increased in those ways. And so beyond that, the main focus is the academic side. We realize that we're very close to full accreditation and want to make sure within our tier system that we are supporting those schools who need this support so that we can get there. KCPS's recent APR score was the highest it's ever been, correct? Correct. 82.9. How is the current board going to continue on that success? Well, luckily, the previous board gave us one of our greatest gifts that we could ever have, and that was the continuance of our superintendent. That is probably the number one thing that, um, as a board, that we can do is make sure that he has the tools and resources he needs, as well as his team, to continue down this academic trajectory. And so, through this solidification of the three more years for him, we have, I think, broken another element of history, or at least within our recent decades, by ensuring that we've had a, a stable superintendent and academic team there. And so that was one of the last actions the previous board had. And so that was something that we then got to support by just maintaining our approval of his actions. And so he's done a great job of making sure that we are 100% focused on that academic accomplishment and realizing that's just the bottom of where we want to be, but it is a bottom that we must be at. And so that is our main focus and in, in support of his actions to, to get us to that academic accomplishment there. Is there any further discussion on adding pre-K seats to the Northeast or on this topic in general? Sure. So actually, this was one of the things that uh, several of the board members had brought up obviously after the defeat of the tax initiative. And so let's start there. I mean, I think that's an important element to understand really is how that process did not work or wasn't successful. Early on, the superintendent had worked with the mayor's office and several other entities and school districts to really talk about the subject of, of increasing our pre-K eligibility for families and providing it at, a, at a, an affordable or, or free cost so that everyone can have it in an equitable way. Unfortunately, at that point in time, there was something that occurred that broke off and the proposal of this tax initiative came out of a separate conversation from from that group discussion. And it was then that all of the, the public schools had decided that unfortunately, that was not something that they would support. Because of the mechanism itself, they didn't believe was equitable or was going to be equitably distributed. And so through that process, the vote happened and, and it failed. But the idea and concept of expanding pre-K was not something that failed within KCPS. In fact, what happened for us is we hired an early childhood specialist to help us figure out how we can expand our process and our program to engage more students. And we've allocated funds to do that. From 
on the board and the administrative side. The challenge becomes how much, how fast can we do this? Can we accomplish this as a city? Because realistically, for the programmatic process to actually work, we need teachers, right, in pre-K. And this is one of the fields that unfortunately isn't supported by our state necessarily to allow for more funding directed towards those type of, of teachers. And so we're going to have a problem of we can create a program budgetarily, right? I mean, we can allocate funds and we can open up these seats, but we don't have the staff to properly fill them. And so that early childhood specialist will help us understand how we get there and in what process. And so we haven't forgotten about it. And it's something that's very much on our individual goals, I think, but it's trying to figure out and, and understand how we accomplish that so that all the students can get there. Contrary to popular belief, I think there was a statistic out there that we were actually decreasing seats in pre-K, which was just a farce, unfortunately, and a political mechanism. And so we are maintained what we've had and trying to figure out how to expand at this point, but we look forward to trying to figure out those things within the next year. Is there anything being done or any discussion with the board to address mobility rates, particularly in Northeast schools? The mobility rates was something that was very concerning once the, the data side of our, our entity realized the realities that affect our students. 42% of students will likely move within the same academic year. Luckily, we have an understanding of, of that statistic and, and are trying to, to figure out how to solve some of that. We've, as a board, supported the administration and a program that brings Legal Aid of Western Missouri in to help individuals, help our students' families stay in the properties that they're living in right now, which I think is a unique program that we just got an award for that really enables their students to be successful and focus on their academics, right? Because if you're moving house to house to house, it's very challenging for you to, to adjust to these new settings. And what we realized is some of these situations where they're moving within our district, but still having that adjustment time frame, and that was having a dramatic academic effect. And so we've supported that effort and will continue to support that effort because we believe not only is it healthy for our communities, but it's also healthy for our kids to, to focus on academic achievement. And what about dropout rates in District 3? The statistics that I've seen lately specifically for District 3 have been actually more encouraging than anything. We are on the trajectory um, going up as, as opposed to going down, but we still have to figure out the other component beyond just the dropout rates. What what happens when students graduate? What do they do next, right? And so I think what you're going to see in this month's board conversation is a possibility for a major investment and collaboration with Metropolitan Community College, which I think will help with that component. The APR scores that we previously talked about are not not just focused on the academic accomplishment within classrooms. It also includes dropout rates, graduation rates, and placement rates. And so it behooves us to invest in all those different categories. And so the, the board is considering right now this collaboration with Metropolitan Community College, which I think will be pretty dramatic for our students, providing them with more opportunities that they didn't have before or at least it wasn't connected to uh, to the district in, in that certain way. So we have that component. In addition to that, we do have another program that Dr. Bedell has collaborated with MCC again, um, this time Penn Valley, and it's called the Middle College. And these are for students who dropped out who want to accomplish either their GED or uh, high school equivalency. And so this is a new program that we've launched, I think, within the last few years um, that has tremendous success of bringing students back in and um, preparing them for the world that they're facing now. And so those two programs, I think really help out in that scenario. And then obviously, you know, we have principals and full staff and teaching staff who are there to try and support you prior to your dropout decision. And so naturally, we still have them as most school districts do. But it's something that I think we're taking unique approaches trying to solve the after what happens after and what we, can we do to prevent them. I think we're doing a, a good job. I think that there are some areas that I, I want to specifically focus on. I think Latino dropout rates are something that's higher in our district three, obviously, than others. And so that's some, some of the questions that I'm going to ask of our administrative team to figure out how do we fix that and why is it that specific population. What are some other areas of discussion or things that you would like to see improve? 
one thing that we've been constantly reevaluating for our own selves as, as individual representatives is not only do we have an effect on our specific schools that we have, but we also obviously govern the entire body of schools that we have. So I think some of the things that we need to focus on, both in the third, third district as well as the broader districts at, at large, is our infrastructure. We have $450 million that, uh, of deferred maintenance that we have not addressed. Right, wrong, and different, that's not our board's decision at this point to what we've done in the past. It's what we, we look towards as the future. And what we realize is we cannot continue to maintain and provide the level of schooling that we would like to provide or competitive within our, our boundaries, even without addressing these issues, right? We have old historic buildings that I think are grand and beautiful, but unfortunately have been neglected for many, many years. And so as a board, we're trying to figure out how do we address that component, right? Because quality of the environment you, you're educated in is just as important as the quality of education that you receive from your teachers. And so um, this is going to be a major thing that we're looking at within the next year or two years to figure out. We have have this program called the system analysis that our entire administrative team are, are gathering data for now to understand how best we can be efficient with the students that we have and the system that we have, understanding that yes, we once were 70,000 students and are now still operating within the footprints of what that was with only 14,000, 14 and a half thousand students. And so, you know, where can we maximize our efficiencies and how do we do that? Whereas we have this external factor fighting us of, well, you need to open or expand in this area and in this school. Well, to understand to do that, we would have have to do those things. And so I think what you're going to see in the coming months are the school district um, as a whole coming to the community and saying, what do you want your district to look like? Are you confident Are you confident and comfortable with what we have now? And if that's the case, then fine. Then we don't need to do this or that. If you're not, what are you willing to do as a community to make sure that our students and our future generation of leaders are prepared for that next generation? And so I, I think you're seeing some growing pains right now as people get more comfortable with this idea of, well, you know, do we want to invest in our schools, yes or no? We've not been definitively asked that question for, for many, many years. I think that the stat was 52 years that we had a, since we've had a bond initiative, which means for 52 years that we've not invested in our, in our schools in a directed way, right? We've had these other little smaller programs that, that split our money. And then on top of that, we've had this nice project of charter schools, which have also split our, our pool of funds. And so now we're trying to figure out how to, how to effectively move forward and, and provide to our students the best that we can. So all that to say, we're going to be coming to the community to ask them what they want their district to look like soon. Is there anything else you'd like to add? The only thing that I can say, which is going to be a challenging, controversial statement, no doubt, is to understand that these property taxes affect the school district. They affect your libraries. It's not just a concentration of more funds based upon some inaccurate statistic or, or formula. One of the things that I think Michael had mentioned in his editorial was this idea that the school district sent a lobbyist to the county to advocate for more funds. In fact, what we sent is $75,000 to pay for and support the reassessment process, as did other school districts. And so what the goal was there is we understood that the assessment department was a very small office within the county and it doesn't behoove us as a uh, taxing jurisdiction to have inaccurate assessments uh, right so our goal was to support that operation so that we would have the accurate assessments and whether that's that's what we got or not that's what our that's what our intent was and so I think that it's important for anyone whether it's at Northeast News or within the community to understand that our number one goal is to educate kids the rest of that is, is just nonsense that we're kind of discussing and debating and that we have the only intent of doing the best that we can to do that. It is not our intent to try and pillage what we can for what we've got. What we've got is needing, but um, that's not the process in which we plan to do any of that. So I'll just say keep that in mind as, as you're out there considering those things. Obviously, my property tax went up too, but uh, it's just a challenge as to how to do that.
How do you plan to overcome this challenge? Uh, you know, as an entity, uh, that's for the, the assessment office. And so I think what you're seeing right now is some political theater, some grandstanding from some areas. But the reality is we've been under assessed for many, many years. Now, the, the mechanism of how we do that is going to be a, a challenge. Is, you know, I don't think that it's an overnight reassessment that everyone's property values spike up. I'm not a county legislator. I'm not the county executive. So I can't tell you how to necessarily solve that in a programmatic way. But I can tell you as an individual, um, I, I understand the injustice there and the effects that that type of taxing can happen can have um, on, on a community. But at the same time, we're also reaping the benefits of, of property values that are skyrocketing. And so how can you possibly say that my property isn't valued as much and then go sell your house for three times what you bought it for? You have to balance those things. And so how do we get there? I'm not sure. Going and comparing it to Zillow.com, I don't think that's an accurate assessment. And so it is not my job to necessarily do that component, so I don't want to speak for them, but I'm, I'm cognizant of that understanding. And I think that there's, there's just a missing component of that conversation, which is understand where those taxes go and what they do for your community, right? If you're mad about the jail, understand that you're paying more property tax to the county. Who can solve those problems? If you're upset about the, the state of our schools, understand that this property tax pays for a portion of the school district. So, you know, I think it's an important element not to just be mad because more dollars out of your bank account and to understand truly the whole system at large. And that was Manny Abarca, treasurer of the Kansas City Public Schools. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Lane Straysner. Thank you.